Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on Saturday, March 20th, 2021. And a good evening to you out there. I'm Greg, your host for today's podcast. We have another roundtable discussion this evening with a special guest, Mark Cardenas, the Alliance Party's Florida State Chair. Mark was born and raised in St. Paul, Minnesota, where he lived most of his life. He raised his two daughters there, but has since moved and now resides in Wesley Chapel, Florida. He's been a Democrat for most of his life, but eventually became disillusioned with the party, and in 2015, he signed up at the Independence Party of Minnesota. As part of the Independence Party of Minnesota, he served as the chair for Congressional District 6, became the state party secretary, and worked as the campaign manager for Secretary of State candidate Bill Denny in 2018. Now a resident of Florida, he serves as the state chair for the Alliance Party. He also serves as the state vice chair for the Reform Party of Florida. His day job, if you will, is vice president of client relations for a law firm in Tampa. Mark, hello, and welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark. Hello, Greg, and thanks for having me. And of course, we have our stalwart, Dan Schaefer, our producer and Missouri state chair for the Alliance Party. Hey, Dan. Greg, it's nice to be here. Thanks. Always wonderful to have everybody together. So, Mark, um, my general impression, I think the general impression of many of our listeners might be Florida is home to just a ton of craziness, and particularly when it comes to politics. It always seems to be at the epicenter of some kind of controversy, whether it be voting, whether it be coronavirus, whether it be immigration. Florida is kind of a flashpoint for the country. What are the dynamics of that? Is it a party split? Is it a generational thing? Is it uh, more of like an ethnic community? Is it urban-rural? Where are the fault lines of Florida politics? Well, thanks again, uh, Greg, for, for having me on. And, uh, you know, that, it's an interesting question. You know, uh, Florida tends to be, like you said, a, a focus during the political uh rounds that come through. And, and I think it, it's for a couple of different reasons. Uh, first of all, we, we here in Florida have a similar sort of routine as a number of other states across the country. Our, our main uh, urban centers tend to be more liberal, more democratic, like Tallahassee, Orlando, Tampa, Miami. And the outlying rural areas tend to be more conservative. But when you add in the, um, the demographic sort of splits, uh, Florida tends to be um, much more ethnically diverse than a number of other states across the country. Um, we're well, well above that bell curve um, in, in regard to non-white uh, voting population. Uh, I think when you mix that in, whether that be the, the, the Cuban vote, Haitian vote, Puerto Rican vote, um, Latino vote in general, the, when you add all of that um, in, it, it sort of blurs the lines in some, uh, in some degree. And then the third piece is that because Florida is such a uh, a, a retirement sort of home for uh, a number of folks across the country, it's, it's very transient. And so you, you, you constantly have a number of folks coming into the state. And with that, they bring 
their political baggage with them based on where they came from, whether it be, you know, from the, you know, the Upper East Coast or whether they're coming from the Midwest, um, Northern states, uh, you add all of that in and the result is um, almost a little schizophrenic uh, in, in, in some cases, but a very close um, electorate um, from a party split. In uh, 2020, uh, you know, Trump took Florida, 51.2%, uh, something like that, uh, to to 47.9 for for Biden, and, and so that's a still that's very close, and um, it's been that way uh, from, a, from a split standpoint uh, for for quite a few years now, and, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Is that split in terms of presidential electoral politics? Because obviously Florida is pretty close and it's regarded as a swing state. Mm -hmm. What about the more local politics, Senate, yeah. governor? Yeah. So Florida is, is one of the trifecta states where the, uh, you know, one party's got all three uh, of the local uh, statewide um control, you know, between the governor and the two uh, pieces of legislature. And so, and it's been also that way for, for a few years now. Uh, so locally, the state is very conservative. Uh, when you look at the House in Florida, uh, the Republicans hold the majority 71 to 46 after the last election. I mean, it, it's not a close split. When you look at the Senate, which is only 40 seats here in uh, Florida, the Republicans hold the majority 23 to 17. And, and um, or, I'm sorry, 24 to 16. And so they picked up a, a, a seat in uh, 2020. And so overall, the uh, the from a and then the governor with with uh, Ron DeSantis is also a Republican. And so, when you look at at the local uh, state races, uh, the Republicans have dominated uh, the uh, the state um, in general. Mm -hmm. But what what about the breakdown? Like we we talked, um, um, you, you talked about the demographics earlier: uh, Haitians, uh, Cubans, uh, Latinos. This um, it, it, one thing that sort of surprised me. I learned this some time ago. I remember, I remember being surprised at the time that that they're generally a conservative voting block, especially like the the Cubans and and uh, I guess to some degree the Haitians, um, and that to me is a bit surprising because they're, um, I guess I just took it for granted that, um, that they wouldn't be, uh, coming from a different country, but I guess, um, could you sort of explain how that affects, um, the breakdown in, uh, sure. Sure. From, from what my experience has been is that you have a varying, um, tolerance of, of uh, racism in a sense in, in between these groups uh, you know the, even though they all sort of experience it in, in 
individually in their own ways, but some, you know, whether it drives them to change the way that they view a political party is, is a very different story. Um, when you look at uh, Cuban Americans, for instance, the, the you know the coming from a uh, a place where, of a dictatorship, the 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 fear is when the government becomes too powerful and, and taking over too many places of your life. And, 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 and so that becomes the big voting uh, concern, you know, versus, you know, whether or not um, I'm able to bring my family into the country or, or not. When you're looking at a, um, a Latino uh, South American uh, based um, American, you know, that that's a different feel, um, you know, if they're coming in uh, to the country, you know, either, you know, um, into Florida directly or into Texas, Arizona, you know, now the immigration system, it, it you know, tends to become a, a bigger piece of that puzzle where I think you're right. The, the at least with the previous administration, the um, you know that sort of those sort of policies, you know, definitely uh, turned that uh, that electorate. But in um, in in general, very uh, from a religious standpoint, very Catholic, and uh, so from a uh, uh, right to life type of single vote single policy vote angle uh, tends to be much more conservative. Well, that, that's interesting what you say about, um, you know, governments becoming too powerful and becoming authoritarian. Um, I mean, I've just from my own perspective here, and I may be wrong, but it seems like, especially under the previous administration, um, we were becoming more authoritarian. And I'm not so sure it's changing now that, that you know, that, that Biden is president. But um, it it seems like you know that combined with um, an increased sensitivity toward uh, an antipathy toward uh, immigration and increased tension uh, racial tensions. I would think that yeah, I, I understand the religious aspect of it because the, the Republicans mm -hmm. have have latched on to you know uh, focus on the family these types of things which which tend to uh, favor uh, religious uh, concerns. But at some point, um, it's, it seems like the Republicans are playing a dangerous game here with some of their key voting block in Florida by uh, continuing to consolidate and um, become more authoritarian in their, in their approach to things. Well, it's interesting that they've got that more authoritarian governing policies, but when they're campaigning, they frequently attack Democrats saying they're the party of big government and the party of socialism. I'm wondering, you know, if those attack, if those lines of attack are resonating with people who have fled socialist dictatorship in a way that, uh, in a way that is, is sort of overcompensating some of the actual things that, that the Republican governing strategy seems to be when they get into power. Absolutely. You know, I think you've hit it right on the, on the head, Greg, the, you got to give the previous administration credit for making a good case in Florida. I, I, I think they, 
knew that without Florida, the game was over in 2020. And, and, and so it was all hands on deck in, in Florida. And so, you know, with that uh, idea, the messaging was to portray the incoming, you know, portray Biden as um, socialists. And um, that message resonated. It definitely resonated. Um, all, although, you know, I think we, we understand the actual policies that the GOP had put in place for the previous, you know, throughout the, the previous years of the Trump administration um, didn't mesh up to that uh, message. But the, um, the, the campaign itself definitely got that, uh, got that across. And in, in, you know, counter to that, I, I don't think the Biden um, campaign did a good enough job to combat that message, uh, not only in Florida, but in, in, in other parts of the country as well. Yeah, the Democrats always seem to be playing defense in that in that particular game, don't they? And and if you look historically, you know, right, the the the, the Democrats have generally had in their back pocket a number of these demographics on their side, whether it be the Latino vote, the women vote, the um, the, the the African American vote. They they had all of those sort of as quote gimmies in, in, in the past, but they have not followed up with enough policies to keep that uh, group from wandering. Let's put it that way, and 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 so that is part of the uh, the um, DNC's issue, and that's part of the reason that this messaging from the the Trump campaign got through. Yeah. We even see that here in Missouri, um, you know, it, 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 it's basically a flyover state, right? And, and people here refer to them as a flyover, refer to themselves as a, as a flyover state um, because they're, they're sort of emphasizing the fact that they do get ignored, particularly by the Democrats. And I think you're absolutely right. In, in 2016, uh, the Democrats thought uh, in Florida, perhaps as well as uh, you know Wisconsin, Missouri, the Midwest in general, that they could just put these uh, voter blocks in their back pocket and not have to worry about it. And guess what happens? Um, the message gets out of control almost immediately, and that next thing you know, you're playing defense. Yeah, you know, I, I think oftentimes, and, and you know, I hope that the um, uh, you know, that the Alliance Party takes some of these lessons that have been um, demonstrated by both the GOP and, and, and the DNC and, and, and you know, in, encompasses that into our overall strategy that the, you know, there's certain things, there's, there's I should say, rarely anything you can take for granted in, in politics. And in 2016, I, I think the Clinton campaign um, did not pay attention enough to the um, idea that she was a female running for the top office in the country and what that would do to 
these critical voting blocks that were co consistently with the DNC, such as the Latino vote and the African American vote. And, you know, what that just uh, from a, um, you know, how that impacted those, uh, those voting blocks. Um, the, the, the Democrats, from my experience, tend to be much more cerebral in, in their um, approach versus uh, you know, taking a, a, a hard look at what the emotional side of some of these uh, political choices are. And it's amazing how that seems to be such a recurring theme with the Democrats nationally. It's, it's just something about the DNA of that party, it seems, that can't make that emotional connection. Exactly, because, you know, if you look at the, you know, the, the, the Clinton resume, you know, Hillary was you know, one of the most qualified candidates for president. You know, if you look at it just raw on paper, um, extremely qualified. <laughs> right. But but unable to make the leap um, with the, 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 the connection to the, the voting blocks. And, um, you, you know, maybe this this, uh, you know, our, our country is not at a point where we're uh, ready to to make that leap into um, having a, a, a woman at the, the top of the structure. Um, I, I think 2016 proved that, uh, and I, I think the uh, you know in in 2008 with um, the Obama election and the, the the fallout of his election in in 2010, um, you know, shows that the country was not quite ready for him either, and, and so though the you know, we, we tend to um, try to, to make ourselves uh, here in this country quite um, progressive and, and, and quite ahead of the curve. I'm not sure we're quite there yet. Well, let's talk voting rights because that's, that's a big element to this conversation as far as if, when, or ever we would get to that point. You know, who is mm -hmm. actually able to participate in the vote how easy is it for average citizens to vote as opposed to fanatical partisans? Um, right now, HR1 is a pretty, I would say, long overdue expansion of voting rights, kind of modernizing the voting process. Um, where does Florida stand on this question? Uh, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk about the rights of felons to vote in Florida, and it's kind of been fluctuating back and forth. Where are voting rights in Florida generally? Where do you see them going? And where's the political fault line on that? Yeah, it is a real interesting topic here in, in Florida. You, you have um, two competing uh, entities uh, pushing back and forth against each other. One is the people. And, uh, you know, 2018, there was a state referendum that 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 passed uh, fairly handily to provide felons in the state of Minnesota, uh, the state of Florida, the right to vote and restoring their their voting rights once they were released. 
that in in contrast to the heavily republican uh legislature and governor that did not want to move in that direction and so created roadblocks to stop a number of these felons from being able to vote by adding in um, items like having to pay all of your um, fees, court fees and fines before you are able to uh, vote. Going in front of uh, the, 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 the governor and asking for um, the ability to get your voting rights back. So you have these these two groups that are um, that are at odds with each other. So I think in general, if, if you were to um, ask folks on the street in Florida whether um, voting should be opened up to uh, nearly everyone, uh, I think you get a lot of uh, positive responses saying yes. But the uh, the Republican leadership that um, is is in place is, is not on board. It's interesting. How long can the Republicans get away with that, though? Because uh, it, we've had similar things happen in Missouri here as well, where the uh, we're also a trifecta state majority Republicans, and um, it, we also experience things like this, where there's a reversal on a number of issues that are voted for by the popular by by the by the population a, a fairly wide margin of population and yet the um the legislator goes in there and undermines it almost right from the very beginning uh, this happens with uh, you know the right to work um uh, they they continue to try with right to work but it does it's not successful uh they tried to do it with um and they were successful at reversing uh one thing they called here in Missouri which was clean Missouri which was intended to um, put an end or at least uh, uh, um, mitigate the effects of gerrymandering. And, uh, and, and it was just basically um, ripped apart by uh, a minority, I would say a minority party in a sense, well, not, not a minority party, but a minority of people that simply did not want to do this. And, so, you know, I'm aware of what happened in Florida with, with allowing uh, felons uh, to vote. And um, just before the election, they pulled this thing out of their back pocket and says, well, you know, you haven't paid all of your fees yet, your court fees and so on. So therefore, you're still not completely, you know, um, off the hook here. So therefore, you can't vote. <clears throat> How long can that go on? Yeah, that, that's a, a, a really interesting question, Dan. The, you know, the... If you look at, I, I, I think from my view, one of the things I think is exciting about being part of the Alliance Party is the direction that both of the major parties are, are headed. And um, I, I know a lot of focus has been on the GOP right now and, and, and where they're, they're going. But, you know, I, I think both parties have a... A, a, a downstream sort of momentum that is not sustainable. And so let's let, to answer your question on, on the GOP, I do not see 
a place where this ends well for the, for the GOP. All right, you, you cannot continue to elect officials to represent you that go against the population that is electing you. It, it, it just flies in the face of our representational government. And, and so eventually, so you know, right now, because we're, I, I think, a, a number of folks that, um, that, that vote are, are, you know, as you know, are, are, are not, you know, political heads that, that, that don't spend a lot of time um, looking into this like we all do. And, and, and so these sort of things get past them, but eventually it catches up with the, uh, these officials. And, and I don't see the end of the road for the, the, the GOP that, that ends well. Um, you, you cannot continue to have a, um, a, a, a platform that supports voting restrictions, that supports a, um, uh, a environment of um, uh, intolerance that, that supports a, uh, a, a nationalist view versus a globalist view that denies a um, um, facts, denies science, denies the, what the, the, the voters are um, requesting of you, that that's just not a recipe for a political party to survive. Um, and, and so I don't see the end of, of the, the, the GOP timeline to, to look good. Um, from the, 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 the Democratic side, there is opportunities at, at this point. Um, but at, you know, at the same time, they, you, they have to clean up their, uh, their, their, their act in a lot of different ways. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, there, there's, there's groups um, of supporters that have consistently been overlooked. Um, and whether that be uh, you know, workers in the, the, um, the, the Midwest states, whether that be um, uh, minorities, um, they, they have got to get these um, folks totally in, in line and on board with from a policy standpoint in, in order for them to uh, be sustainable. And they also um, need to stop sort of the, the idea of, of eating their own in a sense, <laughs> which often happens when they're in power across the board. Um, for, the, for the Alliance Party, the opportunity at this point is that I think both major parties are in flux. Um, you know, especially the GOP, but but also the 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 Democratic wing. You know, you 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 know, you cannot um, put aside the Bernie Sanders uh, group within the the DNC that is continuing to push that entire party farther to the left, and and it, it, it's I think it's unknown right now how much sway 
that group will have. And, and so it's possible that the, the, the Democrats could go far to the left and disenfranchise more moderates that uh, would be available for the, the Alliance Party to, to, um, to take in. Yeah. That does represent a, a good opportunity for the Alliance Party. And I remember we, we, uh, we talked to Lee Drutman on this show, well, it was over a year ago right now, and he had this observation that um, the, the, both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party uh, before the 1960s, they actually had, you know, left wing and right wing of each party within the party itself, and things seem to be stable. But right now, uh, there's been this tendency for parties to just consolidate along along uh, one ideology, and that presents a problem. As you mentioned, um, Democrats um, tend to the Bernie part of the Democratic Party is pushing the party more and more to the left. Well, the party was comfortable splitting into two sub-parties at one point, but not anymore. I imagine there's still a good number of people that would be comfortable with that. But like with any question of splitting the two major parties, neither one would want to make that jump when you consider that it would probably hand a good number of elections to the opposing party who they're more afraid of than they're the more progressive or more conservative wings of their own parties. Yeah, I, I think in general, all the, the the direction that the two major parties have put themselves in is is just a a, a status of self sustainment, and that's the only thing that drives them. And so, because of that, they've become inefficient and in unable to govern because the top of the the you know the first line item that they need to take care of is how do I get reelected? That's that's first and foremost above everything else. And, and so that I think allows uh, the, you know, those of us in, within Alliance Party to become much more of a, a, a pro, pro, uh, pragmatic uh, group and uh, take it from an angle of trying to actually govern trying to actually get things done and being able to um, take care of things in the middle of uh, that require, you know, that most of the country agrees on. Because uh, there are tons of things that this country actually agrees on across the board that are not getting done because of um, the, you know, the remaining 15% of, of items that are that we don't agree on. And, and so there's, the, I think this, this false idea that we are, 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 are at each other's throats all the time. And it's really not the case. I, I think you, if you, you know, with the folks that you talk with, your neighbors, you know, and you talk on, you know, with uh, friends and colleagues across the country, there's a lot more things that you agree on versus things that you disagree on. Um, but if you look at our politics, it doesn't match up. And, and I think that's where, you know, we're able to, to bring that sort of, uh, sort of level-headed approach uh, to, to the, the, the politics uh, of the country. Yeah. Well put. You know, when you're talking about the, uh, the parties uh, 
sort of falling back into more of a defensive posture. The first thing they think about after getting elected is, is their re-election. I, I just, I'm, I'm a bit of a student of history, and I was, I was reminded of Hadrian's Wall in, uh, in England, and that was the outer extent of the ancient Roman Empire as they expanded and continue to expand uh, throughout Europe. Um, they finally hit a point where they couldn't expand anymore. So what, uh, at least one of the popular theories among historians is, they built this wall that stretches across the whole width of the country. Parts of it still remain to this day, and it was a defensive wall against the uh, against the I guess what they would call the Saxons at the time, that would uh, that would uh, raid have raiding parties on the Romans, and that was that kind of represented the beginning of the end for the Roman Empire in that area because now they were in a defensive posture, and. They no longer had the, uh, I guess, the motivation to uh, continue expanding the empire. That was it for them. And that was the beginning of their downfall in, in Europe anyways. So I don't know. That's kind of a kind of a digression there, but it sort of reminds <laughs> me of, of what happens no, I, when empires expand and, and then they can't expand I, anymore. I, I, absolutely. I mean, I think the, you know, the, the, the general... You know, once once the the party itself. Now you have politicians that come in and out of the party, and they they bring their own um, uh, sort of flavor to a party, and they they come and go. But when the party itself has lost its way, and and you know lost its main purpose in uh, serving a population of supporters. That that I feel is when they've they've gone off the rails. Steering it back to the alliance party, um, you know we're we're quite in that expansion phase of the party. We're getting a lot of uh, sometimes whole cloth big groups joining the party, and certainly some talented individuals joining the party all the time. Talk to us a little bit more about the alliance party in Flora. What are we doing there, and how can people get involved? The uh, here in Florida, we're just getting off the ground from an alliance party standpoint. Uh, we have uh, taken the um, prior reform party of Florida and uh, been able to uh, merge with that group uh, and and be able to leverage the uh, the voters that were within that block. Which is a um, a smaller group, um, about twelve hundred um, uh, folks at this point, uh, you know, which is uh, a good amount um, for starting out, and uh, we're looking to build upon that uh, structure that uh, allows leaders in each of the congressional districts to. Uh, to step up and uh, take control of their district from a uh, recruitment standpoint, from a get out the message standpoint, and from a uh, policy standpoint uh, to drive the different pieces uh, to, to get the us off the ground. Um, right now, we're looking for leaders across Florida uh to help us in you know get off uh off the ground so to speak uh 
for each congressional district. Um, we have our general leadership um, at the state level uh, solidified. Um, I have a, a full staff of um, officers that are for the Alliance Party, um, Alliance slash Reform Party of Florida. And uh, now we're just looking to build from the top, top down. And so you're looking at leaders at the congressional level, you're looking at volunteers within each of those uh, congressional districts, and then folks that want to run for office, whether it be at the um, uh, city level uh, or at the state level, uh, we're, we're willing to uh, work with any uh, individual that, that feels that either, either of the major parties has, uh, doesn't really, resonate with them any longer and we're, we're willing to uh, take them in and help them find a way to, to to win their race and if people want to get involved how can they contact you and find out more information yeah you know uh, my contact information is on the the national website for the alliance party and they can definitely reach out to me through there awesome Thank you so much, Mark. We've been talking with Mark Cardenas, the Florida State Chair for the Alliance Party, and Missouri State Chair Dan Schaefer. Thank you once again for joining us this week. If you're in Florida, please get involved. It's a really exciting opportunity in a very unique state. Thanks, Greg. Thanks so much, Greg. I appreciate you having me on. Enjoyed it very much. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone out there, for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to the show so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week, we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You can subscribe through iTunes, Google, or Spotify. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and you want to get more involved with the Alliance Party, you can see our website at www.theallianceparty.com. That's where you can find Mark's contact information, as well as contact information for your local state party. As we expand the party, we need your involvement. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Donations and volunteers are always welcome. And as Mark mentioned, we're always looking for people who want to run for office, be that local or perhaps something a little higher. If you'd like to contact us here at the podcast, drop us an email at podcast at theallianceparty.com and also see our Twitter page at Alliance on Air. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast, however, do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. I'm Greg, your host for this evening's edition of Alliance Party After Dark. And on behalf of everyone here at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead. We hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and take care of yourself and those around you. Have a good night.